Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we discuss, educate and talk about industry news and hot topics, company reviews and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International. With a career covering nearly two decades, Mining International partners with new and junior miners and larger predominant players in the market. With no further ado, here is your host, Rob Tyson. Just before we start the podcast, we want to make you aware of the upcoming Mines and Money London event, which is back in person on the 1st and 2nd of December at the Business Design Centre. This is Europe's largest mining investment event and brings investors and mining corporates together to connect, learn and do business. And you don't want to miss the mining pitch battles. Investors can claim complimentary tickets and other attendees can get 10% off with a discount code DIGDEEP10, all in capital letters, when registering at mindsandmoney.com. So get your tickets now and we will hopefully see you there. So now back to the podcast. Hi, mining community. Welcome back to another episode of the Dig Deep, the mining podcast. And today's guest is Alistair Waddell, who's the president and CEO at Inflection Resources and also the chairman at Headwater Gold, who are both junior explorers working across Australia and the US, focusing on high-grade precious metals and copper assets. Um, Alistair is an exploration geologist by background, um, and he's worked sort of all over the world in Australia, South America, North America, um, and he's here today to talk about some of the exciting projects he is involved in. So that's welcome, Alistair, to the podcast. How are you doing, Alistair? Very well, Rob. Uh, thanks for having us. Yeah, no worries. Appreciate your time as well. So as, as we always start all these uh, podcasts off, I just wonder if you can give us a... Um, a background about yourself. I know you've had a, uh, we were just a bit obviously speaking off air um, before we started recording, you've had a varied background working all, all around the world. Um, so yeah, I just wondered if you can give us, um, tell us a little bit about your career uh, for those people that don't know you. Absolutely. So um, originally from the UK, uh, but I pretty much left uh, straight after university. So I, uh, I studied uh, geology at university after after doing geology a level as well which is uh, i think killer to the united kingdom uh and then uh, literally straight after pretty much my uh, my final exams i uh, i was uh, ready to start working and uh, i got myself a one-way ticket to uh, to perth in australia and uh, a story a little bit similar to some of your previous guests um you know i turned up in in perth with a, a cv with nothing on it and uh started uh, uh, looking for work. And at that time, this is obviously pre, pre-internet, uh, this is mid, the mid-90s, um, uh, I had the yellow pages. And I literally started wandering around uh, West Perth and St. George's Terrace, knocking on doors uh, almost at random. And obviously knew of a few big mining groups and whatnot, but uh, really didn't uh, have a lot of knowledge of Australian uh, mining companies at the time. So. Uh, you know, I immediately stumbled into uh, a job. I initially worked for uh, Stockdale Prospecting, which is De Beers uh, arm in Australia. And uh, I went from doing my, my final exams in the UK to, to flying around the desert in, in Western Australia, uh, looking for diamonds in, in about a month. 
and uh, it sort of all started there. So I initially started my career in diamonds uh, with the beers and then uh, went to work for uh, another company, Ashton Mining, that was also in diamonds, worked on an advanced stage uh, project up in the Northern Territory of Australia uh, called the Merlin Project. And then uh, after about a year or so of doing that, my, my visa in Australia expired and uh, left Australia. And at that time, uh, it was kind of a crossroads. I'd uh, ultimately decided where I wanted to go. And I'd, I'd really just planned to, uh, to spend basically a year backpacking back to the UK and probably apply to get a, a proper visa to go back to Australia and work. And uh, I spent several months backpacking and uh, went through Asia and then in a roundabout sort of way, as you do when you're 23 years old, I, I flew to Brazil from, from Thailand and um, started touring around South America and uh, stumbled into uh, into Santiago and uh, specifically uh, at that time in, in sort of, this would be 96, I guess it would have been, um, it was a bit of a mining boom and uh, ultimately people said, oh, you've got to go to Peru. You know, Peru was booming in the in the mid '90s, and there was a lot of activity there. And um, I hadn't even thought about working in the mining business in South America at that time. But people said, "Go, go up to Peru. You'll get a job immediately." So, I jumped on the bus, went from Chile uh, on my way to Peru, and stopped off in Bolivia, and uh, spent uh, stumbled into a job there, and uh, worked for a, a Canadian junior exploration company, uh, and spent uh, a year working in Bolivia. Um, so this was mid mid nineties, 96, 97, uh, uh, Briex happened and, uh, the market completely fell apart at that time. And, uh, the company was acquired the junior company was acquired by, a, a small U S miner called Gringas, which became Vistagold. And they shipped me off to, uh, to Venezuela. And again, just jumped on a plane, went to Venezuela, I was working in, in Venezuela for a year, which was a spectacular experience and um, kind of sheltered to what was going on in the rest of the world in terms of uh, the mining business, but uh, out, in, out in the virgin jungle and rainforest of uh, Venezuela at the time. And, uh, and then, the, you know, the effects of um, Briex really kicked in. Gold was at an all-time low, that the job market was terrible. And, uh, and finally, the company gave up on, on the, the project in Venezuela. So I was out of work. And at that point, I, I jumped on a flight and went to Lima, Peru. And uh, like before, I started knocking on doors and ultimately I uh, got a job with a, uh, a Canadian junior, uh, did that for a while. And finally, they kind of succumbed to the, uh, the market effects of, of Briex. And uh, it was just a really terrible time in the business for those that uh, were there, if you're in the exploration side of the business. And, uh, and then I, I managed to get a job with uh, Minorco, which was uh, the precursor to uh, Anglo-American. And, uh, and that uh, very quickly um, uh, transitioned into uh, Anglo-American, Anglo-Gold. So I went to the Anglo-Gold side and we we're doing big, big generative programs in Peru and, uh, and whatnot. So I spent about four years living in Peru. And uh, at that time, um, I guess that would be around about 2001, I was uh, approached by one of my, uh, my bosses at Anglo Gold, who'd been um, looking in the Dominican Republic. At, uh, there's a very big gold deposit there called Pueblo Viejo, and uh, he'd done a deep dive on, on Pueblo Viejo, and it was owned by the um, Dominican government. And at that time, 
uh, you know, done a lot of diligence on, on the, the country and jurisdiction in terms of the mining code and the, 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 obviously the exploration potential and things like that. And uh, 2001, with a couple of other uh, Anglo Gold uh, senior guys, we, we set up uh, a junior company called uh, GoldQuest. And uh, that was uh, for about 10 years. I was uh, working with GoldQuest uh, in different roles, ultimately the, uh, the, the CEO. But uh, that, that brought me to Canada and uh, came up to Canada uh, in the sort of last five years of my time at GoldQuest. And a uh, great, great experience. First real exposure to the capital market side of the business. Um, but um, tough, a tough game. And, um, and then ultimately, uh, in about 2010, at this point, I got um, approached by, by Kinross Gold, who just acquired um, Aurelian Resources in Ecuador. This is a very high grade, uh, spectacular discovery. It was very high profile and very exciting. And uh, I'd been a small investor in it at the time and done reasonably well and things. And uh, it was uh, something I'd been following very closely. And um, I joined Kinross at that time and uh, shipped uh, my, myself and my family down to, uh, to Quito, Ecuador. And we, we lived in Ecuador for about a year uh, and then had different roles within, within Kinross, uh, managed exploration in, in South America, including around the mines and new, new uh, exploration opportunities. And ultimately ended up uh, looking at um, more of a global greenfields role. So looking at uh, a lot of early stage exploration opportunities uh, in different parts of the world and uh, did that to around about 2015 and uh, then I uh, joined a, a little little Australian group called Kingsgate with assets in Chile and uh, mine in Thailand and uh, I joined the group about uh, about two months before the uh, the mine in Thailand um, was denied a key permit and uh, the wheels came off the bus a little bit there and then um, at the end of 2017, um, I was kind of uh, looking for something to do. I was looking at a lot of different opportunities and uh, kicking a lot of tires, looking at projects. I definitely wanted to, uh, to build my own uh, junior exploration company at that time. And, uh, and that's ultimately when uh, this opportunity that ultimately became Inflection Resources came across my deck, uh, desk and uh, that was uh, that was late uh, 2017, early 2018. Yeah, it's certainly an interesting uh, career and varied career, and especially um, especially yourself at the beginning, just making that jump to Australia. Um, I mean, if I was a mine engineer or a geologist, that's probably the approach that I would have taken: just jump to a country um, like Australia and try and find, uh, obviously, try and find work. Um, you're like, obviously, initially, obviously, it's like a, a traveling geologist, but you took, I suppose you just took um, yourself and put yourself in that position um, where you didn't have a job and you try, you try to create a job for you by knocking on, knocking on doors. Um, is that advice that you would give sort of young geologists that are, especially if they're, I suppose, if they're out of the UK where there isn't, um, necessary work here um would you advise them um to do what you did or would you say prepare a little bit more yeah no absolutely i mean i'd, I'd encourage any any young geologist to get out and travel you know before you know life gets more complicated and uh you know you have mortgages and families and whatnot so it's um yeah it's something absolutely i'd do and um you know they work very well for me i mean it was very much 
Uh, I was just very ready to leave the UK and I needed to work. I, I didn't have any money and uh, I wanted to travel and uh, I was just ready to go. And uh, uh, yes, I couldn't, couldn't recommend it enough, really just get out. And, and uh, at that time, knocking on the doors was one of the few avenues really uh, that was available. There was no, we weren't able to Google things and research really in, in a lot of detail and whatnot. So uh, they worked very well for me and um, I would uh, I would encourage any young geologist to get out and travel and you know get get that uh, get that experience on your CV and uh, ultimately you know get exposure to many different deposit types, different people, different jurisdictions. Uh, if you know if you've got that sort of uh, traveling explorationist sort of spirit, um, absolutely, uh, I recommend it. All day long. Yeah, yeah, certainly, and and like you said, you, it wasn't it wasn't only one time that you did it. Um, you went over to South America and done exactly the same. So obviously you had it in you, but it just shows it just shows that if you put yourself out there, put yourself in front of people, anything can happen. Um, and sometimes it is a numbers game, um, which I tell any any graduates or recent graduates that are looking for looking for work. Sometimes you just need to make that take take that leap of faith um, yeah. and put yourself out there. Absolutely, and you know, look, I, you know, I would very much um, recommend that. And in my experience, you know, the, the young geologists that have, have made it out on their own dollar uh, to to certain places of the world, maybe they turned up in Peru or Perth or wherever. Um, you know, actively looking for work themselves. And those are those are individuals that invariably, in my experience at least, um, have been quite successful in the business. They've got a bit of drive and uh, perseverance, and not not just sitting there sending out CVs. And uh, it says a lot, I think, about uh, about a person if they're prepared to do that. But in my case, it was it was really out of necessity, um, and uh, it was just very opportunistic, and uh, you know, literally going from exploring for diamonds to gold to base metals. I mean, it was just uh, in the sort of the, the mid to late nineties, it was such an awful time in the industry for, for young geologists that uh, he was really just taking whatever job was available at the time. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, a lot of the people at uh, my age that we were, we were sort of working with or, or um, got to know in different parts of the world, particularly in Peru. I mean, a lot of them just left the business. You know, they were three or four years out of university. And uh, ultimately, um, you know, they, they were still early enough in their career that they uh, they switched out and went and did something completely different. And uh, there was quite a lot of those. So if, if you look at the demographics of the exploration business, there's a sort of a, a bit of a gap of, of geologists in the sort of the, the late 40s, mostly because of that, that pre-ex situation in the late 90s yeah um just wanted to give us uh moving on wanted to give us an overview of uh inflection resources yeah absolutely so uh, inflection resources um it's focused in eastern australia uh we've got two major initiatives uh the big one is exploring for copper gold uh, alkalic porphyry systems in uh, northern New South Wales. And this has really been the focus of the company for the last uh, couple of years. And then we've got a second project up in far north Queensland called Karen, which is exploring for, for high-grade gold adjacent to a historic gold mining camp called the, the Croydon Goldfields. But uh, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to, to New South Wales. It's really been the focus of the work. Um, 
So really how, how this opportunity arose uh, was, um, you know, was a proposal put together by a, a well-known Australian geologist called uh, Dr. Douglas Haynes. And, um, and Douglas Haynes uh, is, is well known because he was the chief uh, geoscientist for a big Australian uh, mining group called Western Mining, which was a very successful exploration and, and mining group. Uh, and for many, many years, uh, made a number of big discoveries and developed a number of big mines in Australia. And, and Douglas was really there through the golden years of, of Western Mining, up to the point where it was uh, acquired by BHP and involved a lot of big discoveries, including the likes of uh, Olympic Dam. So Douglas had a, a proposal, uh, a relatively simple pro proposal in terms of the concept, but complex in the details. He wanted to uh, explore the northern extension of a belt of volcanic rocks, or mostly volcanic rocks, called the uh, Macquarie Arc. And this is a belt of rocks which extends through sort of central, well, it extends through New South Wales and into sort of southern Queensland. And uh, it's host to a number of very big mines. Uh, the, the big one in the belt is uh, is Newcrest Cadia Valley operations. This is um, this is Australia's biggest gold mine. In fact, the other one is uh, Evolution Mining's uh, Lake Cowell mine, and the, the third big one is uh, North Park's uh, mine. This is a, a joint venture between um, uh, China Molly and Sumitomo, and this is a big block cave underground uh, copper mine. But uh, in addition to that, there's a whole series of other smaller mines. And mineral occurrences. It's a very well mineralized part of the planet. Uh, but critically, this belt of rocks extends under a younger uh, post mineral sedimentary cover. So, this, these sediments are masking the prospective uh, uh, mineralized uh, geology underneath these sediments. So, it's flat terrain, there's no outcrop, but uh, clearly the, uh, the volcanic rocks extend under this sedimentary sequence. So, what Douglas had proposed was um, using data collected by the regional, uh, by, uh, collected by the um, government of New South Wales. So this is a big regional uh, airborne magnetic survey. And what this did, it highlighted the, the, the extent of the volcanics uh, under this sedimentary sequence. And uh, Douglas uh, built this beautiful geological map or an interpretive geological map, extrapolating the geology from the known to the unknown all the way under this sedimentary sequence for about 250 kilometers. And uh, in addition to that, it identified at the time about, I think it was 21 very large features uh, in the region magnetics, which he considered analogous with these uh, uh, different types of deposits, but mostly porphyry uh, type systems uh, uh, it, it, by way of uh, alteration and key features you could recognize in the uh, magnetics. So, this is what really um, started this whole journey. Uh, but critically, um, these targets uh, were on open ground. So they were claim free. And uh, that was really the, the opportunity. And uh, it was exciting in the fact that, uh, you know, we were you know, two, three, four hours up the road from Australia's biggest gold mine on a paved highway. You know, we're not doing this in the, in the jungles of Ecuador and, you know, some, some other crazy jurisdiction. It's, uh, this was a very simple story and, and certainly in concept. I mean, it was all about the details of how you specifically uh, target these, these features. But uh, that was the exciting opportunity. It was a, you know, a, a very mining friendly uh, jurisdiction, obviously encouraging investment in mining exploration. And critically, the, the, the prize was very large. 
you know, if we're successful in, in, in discovering one of these, these deposits, I mean, they're generally very large. And uh, that was kind of the secret because ultimately we, we had to design a program, an exploration program to, to explore through cover. So we needed something big. We need something that's really going to move the needle in a massive way uh, to justify exploring through uh, through a sedimentary sequence. And uh, how we're doing that, we're using a, a fairly old old technology. We're using um, mud rotary drilling. So this is technology mostly used for drilling uh, water wells. And uh, ultimately, we drill down through the sedimentary sequence. We drill uh, short diamond drill holes at the bottom of these, uh, these mud rotary holes. So we cut through the sediments, just hit the bedrock. And if we're not seeing what we need to see in terms of fable alteration or geochemistry or mineralization, then we move on. So it's a very um, disciplined uh, and aggressive approach to greenfields exploration, but the discipline is really in being able to walk away from a specific target if we're not seeing key characteristics. So we're, um, we've got 35 targets and we've been uh, systematically drilling those. And uh, we've got a number of early uh, stage uh, targets that re return very encouraging results in terms of anomalous geochemistry and fable alteration, but we've not yet drilled into uh, the heart of one of these systems. And that's kind of the challenge is, is being able to vector in into where we need to be. But we believe drilling just two to three holes into each of these individual targets is a fairly uh, unique strategy in many respects. It's a very cost effective way. Of, of drilling uh, a lot of different targets, but it's also very much a, a portfolio approach. You know, if we were to stake uh, drill test one or two targets, you'd probably, the chances are fairly very, very high, but we believe having sort of 35 of these targets, uh, it's kind of tilts the odds of success in, in our favor. So it's really, um, we're systematically just working our way through these, these targets right now, uh, just doing the sort of first pass drilling plus a series of uh, follow-up drill holes uh, on targets that returned uh, encouraging results to date. But it's, uh, yeah, it's an exciting program from an exploration geologist. I mean, every hole is drilling something big uh, and, you know, probably altered that's never been drill tested before. And uh, that, that's really the, the key is, you know, the, the size of the prize is, is potentially very large, but also, you know, virgin targets never been drilled before. We made a very conscious decision not to drill old prospects that have been drilled perhaps many times before and people have walked away from various reasons so we're really having a having a swing trying to make a, a true uh, greenfields discovery in a, in a belt known for uh, big big mines yeah um considering you work for both sort of major mining companies and junior explorers um can you tell us the differences the major differences for working each of those types of companies um, obviously, you're working for a junior explorer now. How, how, dif how different is it and how difficult as well, would you say? What, what are the main key characteristics uh, that make it a lot different and maybe harder or maybe easier? Both very different experiences. Um, you know, from my, my perspective, I, I enjoy both for different reasons. Um, you know, the major mining company, as, as an exploration geologist, you get exposure to uh, a lot of lot of great people. So you know the leading consultants, whether they be geologists or geochemists, geophysicists. So you're always uh, getting exposures to that. But uh, you also get an appreciation for scale. You, you know, a really uh, sometimes on the on the junior company side of things, you forget what a really big mine looks like. 
and uh, you work for a big major mining company, then you know you really get to see what the significance of an alteration footprint. So you're looking for something big. You know that, that's something that's that's perhaps lost is the appreciation of scale. Um, you know the, the the junior company side is is many respects so a bit more exciting. Uh, you know you you very much. Um, Perhaps control a little bit more of your own destiny in many respects. You know, it's if it, if, if the company falls over, it, it is uh, on you ultimately. Um, the challenges are more, frankly, on on the capital market side. You're the the, the women that the markets and uh, being able to raise capital at the right time. And uh, there's a, there's an element of luck, I think, associated with that. So you can have uh, some great projects and. Uh, great assets and uh, ultimately uh, the timing is a little bit off and you do a big big financings at the wrong time and things like that so you know that that's always a challenge on, on the junior side of things and uh, you get an appreciation for you know the, the, the value of the capital invested as well I mean that's you know every dollar very much counts as a junior explorer um, but uh, often a little bit um, more flexible and a bit more dynamic uh, you know probably the decision making process is uh, is very quick on the junior company side of things uh, versus the major miners, which can be a little bit uh, slower, say the least. Um, but yeah, look, there's, there's both uh, you know good points and bad points, and and I, I you know I'd encourage uh, you know anybody getting into the business to try and get a little bit of exposure to to both sides of it, because if you're just doing one, if you've only ever worked for a major gold mining company, you know you perhaps don't appreciate. Uh, some of the things you go through on the junior side and, and vice versa. If you've only ever worked for junior explorers, you know, you, you miss out on a lot of, lot of things and uh, even just things, basic things, how to manage data and, and store data, you know, just how, how to properly process core and log core. These are procedures that are being worked out uh, in great details with the majors and uh, whatnot. So I, you know, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of, uh, of geologists that have done both. Uh, in many respects. Yeah. Um, what do you look for in when you hire geologists um, for a junior exploration company like Inflection? Um, are there any particular characteristics that you uh, that you look for? Is there a commonality um, in terms of your criteria? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you know, like just as I mentioned, I mean, I, I'm a fan of uh, having you know, geologists have had been exposed to both sides of it. The reasons uh, you know I, I mentioned with the majors in particular, you've just got that appreciation of scale and and how, how ultimately uh, the majors operate, and uh, and also you, you get a sense for what the majors are looking for, and and how they reach their decisions on whether they proceed with a project or or, or, or drop it. I mean, a, you know, a major mining company might just test uh, one project with one single drill hole and, and test the thesis and and drop it whereby you know the junior might might push it further and things like that so i, I you know I, I like geologists that have done both for for the reasons um that have had exposure but i also look for geologists that have got that little bit extra and um you know we've got uh got geologists as part of our group that have just got that little bit of extra spark and um maybe they've got a little bit of an entrepreneurial twang to them uh, it's difficult to put your finger on it, but when you meet lots of geologists, you kind of recognize the geologists that have it. And, uh, you know, they've just got that little bit of an extra entrepreneurial sort of attitude to them. And uh, invariably, there are people that have got, um, you know, they've gone out and traveled a little bit and, uh, 
you know, a commonality would be they're generally sort of outdoorsy types, you know, they, they like camping and climbing and fishing and hunting and that sort of thing. So uh, that's generally a, a theme and, you know, self-driven people, you know, that uh, you don't need to tell what to do all the time as well. That's, that's kind of key. So, um, you know, geologists have just got to get a little bit of get up and go about them. Yeah. Um, can you um, introduce us to uh, in, um, Inflection Resources and tell us why a Canadian company um, is it obviously exploring in New South Wales in Australia and obviously you're based in, based in Canada. How comes, how comes your base there operation or exploring in Australia? Um, and how do, you how do you find that with time differences? Yeah. Absolutely. Well, so it was very opportunistic. And, um, you know, as I mentioned, it was, uh, it was a proposal by, by Douglas Haynes. Um, and I was really looking for some key things and ultimately looking for an asset that the majors would want to buy. Uh, so as a junior explorer, you know, really thinking about the exit here. And I wanted a fabulous mining friendly jurisdiction, you know, uh, you, you want to be able to go to bed at night and, and wake up knowing that, you know, you still own the assets in the morning. That's kind of a key, <laughs> key thing, uh, non-technical non risk. Um, you know, I'd spent a lot of years working in some, uh, you know, questionable jurisdictions. And um, now I've, I've come sort of full circle and, you know, I, I love the US and Canada and Australia and places like that. So uh, it was about jurisdiction. Uh, Douglas Haynes, who I mentioned, you know, he really leapt off the page and, uh, and the interpretive work uh, that, uh, that Douglas had done uh, with this, uh, this extrapolation of the, the, the fable geology undercover, it was, uh, it was a spectacular piece of work. Uh, so it was really that and, and the nature of the prize as well. Uh, it was really targeting copper gold, which really is, a, is a, you know, can't go wrong with that. It's a big, big uh, commodity types that the majors are looking for, long life mines potentially. And, uh, um, in uh, in a belt of rocks known for uh, for big mines, so those were the sort of tick tick the major boxes. Um, and in terms of uh, you know my, the time zones and things, based in Vancouver uh, to Eastern Australia, it's, it's generally pretty good. I mean, uh, it's uh, you know from about two o'clock in the afternoon here, the guys are, are up and about, and uh, it's been relatively easy. Uh, makes for some some late evenings sometimes, but for the most part, it's it's been pretty seamless. And I will say the majority of the team is is based in Australia, so um, it's really myself and uh, a couple of others here at a corporate level that uh, are impacted by that. But for the most part, it's been pretty seamless. And the same with uh, with COVID. Um, you know, the the uh, the one issue we've had with COVID is. We've not obviously not been able to to enter Australia due to their, their border restrictions, but uh, luckily um, our entire team, our technical team, really is is on the ground in in New South Wales and Queensland. So um, it's been pretty seamless in that respect. Yeah. Um, how do you might obviously you're an experienced uh, geologist? How do you migrate risk in exploration, um, particularly as you're focused on greenfields exploration rather than exploring sort of known projects, um, which might be considered more of an advanced stage and perhaps lower risk? Yeah, so this is a, I talk about this quite a lot. I mean, it's, uh, you know, how you manage greenfields risk versus brownfields risk. And it's, it's a great discussion. And, um, 
you know, I, I forget how many times I've been approached by, by groups. You know, I'm looking for an advanced stage exploration asset, you know, something that's got some drill holes into it, something that's been de-risked. Well, you know, probably the, the, the issue with that is, you know, the, the cost of entry is generally quite high. Uh, if there's something that's got a, you know, a resource on it or, or some significant drill holes in it, uh, you know, it's invariably uh, available for, for uh, various reasons. It might have an issue with it and take your pick. It could be a community issue, a metallurgical issue, uh, a grade issue. Um, it's, there's a reason why somebody's walked away from this project uh, in the past, and uh, the chances are those those issues have not gone away. So, you know, the, the issue of risk is um, is something that uh, that really people perhaps don't appreciate as much. And uh, you know, like particularly on the greenfield side, I mean, I, I get this. People say, "Oh, greenfields is high risk." Well, you know, using inflection as an example. So we've got a large portfolio of projects in New South, New South Wales, which we, we can drill test very cost effectively. Now, the key is the size of the price. You know, if we can test uh, one of our targets for, you know, let's say $75,000, uh, I think that's a great result. If you can develop a project, drill test it and walk away from it, and this is a, a target that's got real scale or the potential to deliver a major discovery. Uh, that, that's a very cost effective way of testing that. So I'd rather do that uh, all day long than, than drill test some old project that's been drilled many, many times before that's failed for, for whatever reason. But, um, we, you know, certainly, you know, putting my inflection hat on, you know, uh, comes back to having a large number of targets as well. And, um, you know, really, as I mentioned earlier, it's, you know, having uh, over 30 targets, I think the, the odds of success uh, are very much in our favor. And each one of those targets has got the potential to, to deliver uh, a discovery. So it's really how you perceive risk. Um, you know, you might wish to pay, pay a lot more and acquire an advanced stage asset or, um, or, or, or drill something and bring it to a decision very, very quickly and uh, potentially walk away. Or make a make a large discovery. So um, that that's the sort of the trade off. Uh, not not for everybody. People want different uh, different types of uh, exposure to different types of exploration projects. But uh, I, I'm certainly very comfortable uh, uh, taking a swing on on Greenfield's targets. Got the potential to deliver uh, a large or, or tier one potential tier one type uh, discovery. Yeah. Would you say most geologists have that point of view? Um, I suppose if you look at other explorers, depending on who the, the CEO is, whether they're f uh, from a geology background or may have another discipline, would you say most geologists would have a similar opinion to yourself? Uh, maybe not. Maybe not. Um... I, I've got a high conviction that, uh, that this is the right the right strategy, and I, I'm very comfortable uh, managing the the technical aspect of exploration risk. Um, but you know, it's more on the on the financial community. Um, you know, people often say, "You know, I would like a project, you know, with something a bit more advanced." You know, this is a phrase you hear a lot, and it um, it drives me crazy, to be honest. Um, and uh, you know, that project has probably been around probably been through multiple hands and uh, and failed for, for whatever reason um you know it might, might not but um often that, that's the case and uh you know it's a, it's a bigger discussion about uh about investing in in the the junior mining space it's often quite challenging for 
uh, non-technical to, to distinguish the difference between um, you know, the, the projects that have been uh, perhaps around a long time and, and drilled by multiple companies than groups that are perhaps doing something something new and uh, and uh, a little bit different, but uh, with the potential to, to deliver a real discovery. Yeah. Um, can you tell us about your other project in Queensland called uh, Cannot? Karen, I think that's yeah, pronounced properly. Yeah, Karen. Um, so that's a project um, also generated by uh, Dr. Douglas Haynes. Um, this case, we're up in far north Queensland, so we're about uh, we're about a four-hour drive uh, west of Cairns, if you know where that is. And uh, we are um, targeting high-grade orogenic low gold veins in this particular case. Uh, and we're doing this adjacent to a very high, uh, high grade historic gold mining camp called the Croydon Goldfields. Now, Croydon was um, uh, essentially mined out in the early 1900s. It's a, you know, a classic old uh, mining camp. There's a lot of uh, black and white photos. If you were to Google uh, Croydon, uh, you'll see all sorts of black and white photos of old timer miners with big gold bars and nuggets and things like this. But uh, long, long since uh, mined out. Um, what uh, Douglas Haynes had recognised, and, and a little bit like New South Wales in some respects, was that um, sitting out um, under uh, post-mineral sedimentary cover again, there looked to be the continuation of the, uh, the Croydon system. And so this is looking at uh, magnetics. So uh, the northwest, the Croydon veins broadly trend in a northwesterly direction and sitting out under the sediments, these very dominant northwest trending features. Uh, that uh, that we consider perhaps comparable to to, to Croydon, and uh, the interesting thing about uh, the, these features is they extend of about thirty kilometres. So it's a big, big target, uh, and it's never been drilled before. And uh, the prize is potentially um, more Croydon-style veins. Now, key about these Croydon veins is they were very, very high grade, and the old timers were mining these veins. And if you read the historical reports, you know, they're typically grading around about 30 grams or an ounce of gold. So, um, you know, spectacularly high grade. So um, we're really, really looking for um, a repetition of the Croydon gold fields uh, undercover. And we're just about to uh, commence, uh, commence drilling on that, that project uh, any time now. And uh, so that, that's something very much we're, we're excited about. And, uh, you know, if, we, if we're lucky enough to tag into one of these, these systems over the 30 kilometers, then... It'll be, uh, you know, it could be quite uh, spectacular. I mean, it was certainly uh, hope so, anyway. Yeah. Um, you're also the chairman of Headwater Gold. So I just wonder if you can uh, give our audience uh, an overview of uh, Headwater Gold. Yeah, absolutely. So um, Headwater is kind of the, the sister company to, uh, to Inflection in many ways, sort of a similar uh, management structure. But it's, uh, this one is um, uh, very much focused on high-grade epithermal veins in what we call the Great Basin area. So this is uh, essentially Nevada, um, southern Idaho, and a little bit of uh, southern Oregon as well. And uh, this is um, uh, was put together by a spectacular young young geologist called Caleb Strope. He was uh, one of the uh, the Kinross geologists uh, that uh, really was focused on generating new new initiatives for for Kinross. Uh, we convinced uh, Caleb to to join us uh, a couple of years ago now, and uh, uh, built built the company up in a, in a, privately for the first year or so, and then uh, went public there uh, earlier this year. 
but uh, it's a, it's a fabulous uh, company in the fact that it's uh, again just like inflection is generating own projects on um, uh, open ground for the most part. We, you know, we've got uh, I think it's twelve projects in the, in the company right now, and eleven of those were were literally sitting there just waiting to be staked. And uh, Caleb and his team in uh, in Reno have just done a spectacular job of. Uh, of, uh, of picking those up and, and building up a real good technical story around of those. But the, the key with Headwater is the, the you know, the hundred percent ownership, which is quite unusual, particularly in Nevada, where there's often, you know, layered royalties and complex underlying ownership structures and things like that. We made a very conscious decision to stay away from that. We want a nice, clean, simple uh, story, but uh, also it's very focused and uh, we're exploring these low sulfidation vein systems, uh, that have perhaps had a few very uh, shallow drill holes into them, uh, looking for uh, the upper parts of these epithermal systems. is often a low-grade halo uh, on, on top of these systems, and uh, often or not, the, the, the real price uh, occurs at depth in the form of these very high-grade vein zones, that, uh, and often or not, these have not been drill tested. So that's really the... The thesis and um, you know, Caleb and the team are uh, doing a spectacular job of uh, systematically um, drill testing those, those targets in, in Idaho and uh, Nevada at this time. So uh, certainly one to one to keep an eye on. Um, concluding, just wanted to give us a um, sort of uh, short to medium term outlook for inflection. Um, what your what your plans are? Um, yeah, the next sort of twelve to eighteen months. Well, it, it's uh, with inflection. It's all about drilling. You know, we we uh, we're drilling uh, aggressively in uh, New South Wales. So we're doing two things. We're we're finishing off our first pass uh, drilling across the portfolio targets in northern New South Wales. So these are these are big copper gold targets. And then we're also doing sort of step out drilling on uh, on targets that have uh, returned um, returned encouraging alteration in geochemistry with the goal of being able to pierce the, the, the bedrock and, and vector hopefully to uh, one of these alkalic porphyry centers. So that, that's ongoing as we speak. And then in final of Queensland at our Karen project, um, we're, um, we're just about to commence drilling our first pass program there. So we've got 25 targets uh, identified uh, so far on that property over spread out over about 30 kilometers. And uh, the goal here is to drill about uh, nine to eleven holes here before the year end, and uh, that'll that'll continue into into next year. But uh, it's all all about the drill, and um, you know we're very proud of the fact we're we're aggressively drilling and and drilling things that have, have never been drilled before. Yeah, Alistair, really appreciate your time. It seems you've got some exciting projects there, a lot of work in front of you, but a lot of um lot of prospect, uh, in, obviously of especially the um. Uh, operation in um, or the, the drilling in New South Wales, obviously surrounded by some uh, great mines there. So um, look forward to seeing sort of further results um, as time goes on. If our audience wants to sort of reach out to you, if they've got any questions, um, how can they go about doing that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, you can reach me on my email. So it's alistair at inflectionresources.com. Um, we've also obviously got websites uh, inflection and we're uh, we're on uh, LinkedIn and um, and Twitter as well um, but uh, those those are corporate accounts and um, you know happy to, to answer any questions uh, anybody's feel free to please uh, please reach out anytime 
Yeah, certainly we can include those in the uh, show notes uh, accompanying this uh, podcast. So, um, Alistair, really appreciate your time. Perhaps you can uh, come on next year and give us an update. I'm sure you're going to have uh, a lot of uh, interesting news feed um, next year. So, um, yeah, more than welcome to come back on and uh, give us an update of uh, the progress. Excellent. Thank you very much. Yeah. No worries. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Appreciate if you can um, share and like this if you're watching on the YouTube channel um, and obviously listen on any of the podcast platforms. Um, as always, appreciate if you can uh, pass pass uh, this episode on and also just make other people aware, maybe you, who, who you work with about the podcast because it is educational. Um, and as Alistair pointed out um, at the beginning, especially for graduates looking to... Uh, looking to um, get their first job um there's a lot of um a bit of content around that so appreciate you um appreciate you all for listening um keep uh, keep sharing these uh keep sharing the podcast because obviously it's a lot of education and a lot of things to to pick up on um and hopefully you can use in everyday everyday life during your mining career so until next time happy mining thank you for listening Remember to reach out to Rob via the show notes and be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Until next time, happy mining, helping each other to improve the mining industry.